And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology. Here is today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship. And even today, we're going to be talking about some sales, automation, personalization. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. Today's guest um, you know, has been a colleague of mine, I guess, like a... I almost want to say friend, but we we haven't met in person yet, so I'll save that. But Dan Englander from Brooklyn, New York, welcome to the show. Drew, thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, Dan's representing Sales Schema. That's his company. He's the founder there. He's been talking with me about building my sales team at least for 18 months plus. And Marknology is just uh, one I'm holding on to tightly and trying to trying to prepare for scale and prepare for what's next. And that includes like automation and personalization. Um, in regards to like, you know, email sequences and, and all kinds of things. And I know that when I first made my first step into automation, um, I got a lot of feedback from a lot of people that were like in that funnel. And that just made me feel like, okay, the time you spent doing this um, is paying off. People recognize it. But before we jump into all of that, Dan, and I would love to just get to know Dan a little bit, a little bit better. And, and for our, um, our listeners getting to know Dan a little bit better, um, you're in Brooklyn, New York. Talk to me about, you know, your early years, I guess, as an entrepreneur or even in sales. Like, you know, where'd you get your start? Like, where did you start, like, thinking business was a thing that you were going to pursue? Yeah, thanks to Andrew. And uh, hopefully I can I can rival, you know, your your background and your your travels and everything that, you know, you were, uh, you graced us with on on our show, on the Digital Agency Growth Podcast, and appreciate that. And, um, you know, it's funny because I, I grew up in the D.C. area. Um, I went to college at UC Santa Cruz and I think like during, I was never like the sort of entrepreneurial, you know, lemonade stand type kid, but I just knew that I, I always had a lot of anxiety about being, about monotony, you know, about being stuck in a job and that kind of thing. So I think I was, to be honest, I think I was mostly running from something away from something more than running towards something when I started sales schema, but you know. But anyway, to to get that's, a, that's an awesome, get, <laughs> honest answer. I really like it, actually. Like I haven't seen it in that perspective, but I honestly feel like I lean a little bit yeah. more that way. Maybe I was running from the fear of monotony more so than I was like, oh, I have to do my own thing. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. But but you know, I came out of college and I eventually kind of like worked some kind of BS internships in New York. One funny side story: as I worked for this music promotions company, and they fired me because I wasn't I wasn't cool enough. I'm pretty sure what? one time it was an unpaid internship and they were just like, Hey, uh, we moved around the schedules. You don't need to come in anymore. I was like, you're not even paying me. I, I think it was just cause I wasn't that cool. Uh, but anyway, um, I eventually got a job at an ad agency and I worked on the account side and I was like, you know, I would do, this was the early days of social media agencies and social media marketing back when like an agency could be like, Hey, we, 
we'll manage your community. And then companies would be like, have all of our money, you know, here you go. And I was, um, working our main, my main client was, I, I don't, I want to, won't say the name, but like a bigger consumer electronics brand. And I would have to go on and like answer requests about headphones. Somebody would be like, I got these headphones and they, they're fake and help us out. And I was like, I don't know what to do about that. But the companies would outsource all that stuff. So I would also, you know, got involved in the agency world, pitch some things, um, kind of like learned a lot about that. And then I moved on to a sales uh, client service role where it was this a very classic hybrid role in a small company and I was selling animated video. So we did commercial work and like animated explainer videos, sold them to big companies and startups and like pharma and all that sort of thing. Um, and really kind of learned about the a very common situation, which is where you have kind of like the sales client service shuffle, right? Where I was like servicing clients, do, dealing with project management, half my time, other half having to sell, get meetings, like win business uh, and, and so on. And then eventually like, you know, originally didn't take ownership over being in a sales role, um, took on sales training, still a close friend to this day, Mike Ganzel, who I'm working with now. And, you know, he kind of made the point to like, hey, you're in a sales role. You should learn how to do this and actually take ownership of it. Got better at it. Um, helped that company grow a lot. When I left, I think we're at, you know, multiple seven figures and Fortune 500. What does that, what does that mean, though? That like, what does that mean to take more ownership of the sales side? Like, if you're in a startup, you're in a small business yeah. where you're doing both. And he's saying, hey, why don't you take ownership of this and step up? Does that mean that you stop on the client success part or like just went more onto sales or did it mean you took accountability for learning the process better? What do you mean? Yeah, exactly? good question. And for context, I was an employee in this company. It was a small company, okay. it was just a few of us. But it was more of an emotional thing. It was more like I am a salesperson. And I remember that years ago. This would have been like 2011, 2010 or something. Um over feeling weird about identifying as being in sales, right? And got over that relatively quickly, um, you know, and then tried everything under the sun to close business in the context of selling agency services, creative services, big project work, did every tactic under the sun. And then I was in a pretty good job at that point. And I was like, I'm friends with the, the owner as I am still. Um, it was an interesting product. It was animated video, but I still was like, I don't want to have a job anymore. You know, I want to be able to make my own hours. And I was, again, running from something. So then around 2014, quit, did the whole Tim Ferriss thing for a while. And I quit and traveled Asia with, with my girlfriend at the time. Um, did, you know, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, Burma, Indonesia, uh, and self-published a book called Mastering Account Management about that role, about everything I'd learned in that role. Um, and and everything involved and then like started it was all it was very much like the first season of better call Saul. i was like just working with whoever would hire me you know um winning clients and stuff and then realized pretty soon that like okay the people that tend to want to hire me are agencies these are people because that's my background they also need lots of help there's a lot of accidental business owners uh and the big the, the big demand is getting the door open getting meetings and lead generation, you know, was something that I could build that could scale beyond just like consulting time and that sort of thing. And, you know, the rest is a uh, kind of history, I guess. And there's a lot more to get into there with, with sales schema, but we've been around since 2014. We call ourselves a fractional new business team. We specialize on the agency world, B2B space. We get our clients meetings and go out and try to get very skeptical people to agree to talk to our clients, basically, which is something I can talk about. Yeah. I, lo I love it. I think it takes a certain personality to be like 
I mean, there's obviously different personalities in it, but to be in sales, uh, that part you said is said about like accepting that I'm a salesman, um, you know, can resonate with me. Uh, I don't like pushing anything on people. I also like, like helping people. So it's like this balance of like, I know what I have can help, but I don't want to push you. Um, you know, you think about it in a dating world. It's like, I don't want to like beg you to like me back. Like, I just want to be like, sure. this is who I am. Are you into it? You know, kind of thing. Um, and for me, it wasn't until I was like selling a product that I really backed or that I really believed in that all of a sudden I was like, okay, I could, I don't mind selling this. Like, I don't mind, you know, doing that. Um, so like to your point, just like accepting that kind of like, I guess an emotional, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And if you're a small business owner, like you have to be the number one salesperson, like at your company, um, you know, selling your stuff. And so, okay. So you guys went from, you know, just helping whoever at a fractional level, like as an account manager, somewhere in there, I missed the, I missed the point where you went from kind of like that role traveling Asia. And then you have sales schema where you're like a fractional sales team. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, how did that idea come about? Was it like, you just kept seeing all these agencies that needed it? Yeah, for sure. So I was working with lots of different clients in a consulting capacity, you know, and I would say, go do this, go do that. And then pretty soon I realized like, okay, after a certain point, like very few people want that, that sort of just like consulting help. Like it doesn't mean that, you know, education training is a huge area, obviously. Um, but I, I saw, you know, essentially a need in the market for being a fractional team and for actually like going out and doing this for our clients, doing the thing as opposed to telling them how to do the thing. Um, and beyond that, I think what, what I tended to see was very few of, of our clients like knew how to do, knew how to like get beyond referrals. They would kind of hit the ceiling of their network and of recurring business. And then there'd be this like overwhelm, the scramble of like, do we do this? Do we do that? And that sort of thing. And that, and, and then that's where, where we kind of came in. And I think how we, how we've done it has progressed and gotten a lot better through the years. Um, in the early days, I think we would work with different freelancers and outsource salespeople and partners and put them all under one roof. And a client would be like, okay, I want to reach e-commerce brands or I want to reach whatever. And we'd be like, great, we'll build a list. We'll put them through a funnel. We'll contact them over email or LinkedIn or phone. We'll try this. We'll try that. We'll try this copy. We'll try that copy. And, and so on. And I still think that's what like 99% of salespeople are doing. Um, what I think though, is that that process for everyone, but especially for agency services, especially for services that you essentially just need a laptop and an internet connection to start, it's gotten so competitive and there's so much noise that the level of sophistication you need is, is so much, is so much higher than it used to be, right? So that used to work and then it stopped working and, you know, we lost lots of clients. Uh, we tried everything under the sun. We brought in consultants. We brought in all sorts of people. We tried every tactic. And then eventually like what happened was we had one client that was, had a lot of experience. They were selling into enterprise tech companies. They did big six, seven figure branding engagements. They'd worked with like every enterprise tech company you can imagine. And we still just were trying all these things and like not getting meetings. And then we said, okay, what if instead of like sending people more case studies and putting people through more funnels and just like hard selling people, what if we were to find like people that used to work for one of your big clients that have since gone on to a different account that you might be able to work with. And we send them like a one line email that says, Hey Bob, 
I'm making up the companies, so don't quote me, but it's like I saw, you know, you used to work at Microsoft. We've done tons of work with them over the years. Now you're at HP. Um, we've, we work on enterprise tech. I think it would be good if we talked. And we got tons of meetings and they went on to close a lot of business and then they eventually got acquired. And then that planted the seed. And then we just started doubling down on that. And there's a lot more I can get into there, but like philosophically what we've seen is that the reasons that we make decisions and that we take, we do anything that we do are, you know, back to the lizard brain thing. Like they're often for very tribal, very ancient reasons, but in the B2B space, everybody's fooled themselves into thinking that we have, that we're like no longer humans anymore. And that it's like, Oh, this logical list of like benefits and features is what's going to turn me. And I'm, there's a time and a place for that. I'm not saying that that's, that's not important too. But at the top of the funnel, the thing that's like getting meetings is like, can I trust this person? Are they within my world? Right. Um, and that's, do we have a strong enough personal connection? And that's really yeah. the thing that's, that's like, um, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that, that adds this, this level sauce. of effectiveness. Right. I would agree. I, and I think that can be hard at scale. Um, but we're talking about personalization, right? Even if we're talking about automation and personalization, like specifically we're talking about personalization and whether that's for me, it's like, how much effort did you put into cold emailing me? Because one, if you're cold calling me, you're already interrupting my day and whatever I'm doing that's important. You don't think is important. That's how I think about it. It's like, I, I'm a, I'm a planned out person. My, my schedule is packed for at least like, you know, into the second week. Uh, and I know some people are booked months out. Right. And so if you're calling that person, let's say a high level exec is probably double what I am or triple what I am and busy. Um, and you're cold calling them. If they wanted to find you, they would find you number one. So you're interrupting whatever they're doing. Um, and you're saying, Hey, this thing that I have to talk to you about that you didn't have on your plate today, I just want to put it on your plate. Like, and that's what I think about a cold call personally. Now, if you happen to call me like right when I need something, maybe I take the call, but it's gotta be like that important. Does that make sense? Right. It does. But the, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think this is a good time to like frame out what outbound is. Right. So with outbound you're, so, so if you think about the mark, your total market, right. And it's like this big parabolic uh, loop, like a bell curve rather. On one end, there, there's the people that will never work with you because they're happy with their current solution and they're going to be really hard to win over. And that's t 10 to 20% you know, on, the, on that low end. On the other end are the people that are actively looking for, for the solution, right? And those are the people that might convert through a search ad or they get referred to you or they hear you on a show and they're like, I want this thing right now, like what I'm doing right now. You know, That's inbound marketing. Um, but then there's this giant like 80%, 70% of the market that guess what? Like they're vaguely irritated with their solution. They have problems. They don't really know what the right solution is, um, but they're accessible, right? The downside yeah. is like, it's going to take a longer sales cycle. It's going to take a little more work, but there is a point where like and anybody that's done inbound marketing long enough will tell you this, like you hit that ceiling where either there's too yep. many competitors, the ads get too expensive. You've gotten in front of all of your total addressable market as much as you can. Cause like, as you start trying to access more of your TAM, it gets logarithmically hard, right? Cause it's like, you can get to 50%, but getting from 50 to 60 is much harder than getting from 40 to 50. Right. So that's yep. where outbound comes in and it is harder. Okay. And it does take longer, but back to cold calling. Yeah. There's a way to do it right a way to do it, do it wrong. Cold calling. If you're, if you want to get in touch with restaurant managers, 
probably got to call them up, right? They're, they're running around. They're not answering emails. For our, for our area, which is like contacting whatever startups, mid-market enterprise, white-collar areas, cold calling is mostly, by and large, a waste of time. doesn't mean the phone's a waste of time, but it's not a good use of time to dial for dollars, really. And I would agree with the interruption problem there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just think about it like, you know, the things that do. And thank you for your explanation. I, I guess a follow-up to that is would you would consider like a Google ad or a paid ad uh online because it's direct response like that's inbound i would yeah yeah i would because okay. that's somebody well i would think of it as like a search ad right um and, and yeah you know i'm speaking in broad strokes like if, if there there could be a funnel where on facebook right where you click on something that looks interesting and you get a lead magnet and it brings you along but there's a point at which like if you are selling you know a six-figure product development offering or you're an agency and you're, you know, you're selling a big enough ticket offer. Um, there's a sales process that has to happen. Like nobody's going to buy through a, through a digital funnel. That stuff can help. It can help with nurturing. It can help get people along. Um, but eventually like somebody's going to need to talk to those people, right? There's going to have to be a relationship. Yeah. So it's like, do you want to wait to build that relationship or do you want to do it today instead of like five years from now? Right. When they happen to find your yeah, app totally. or they find you some other way. Right. No, I just didn't. I I didn't know if I would refer to like, you know, because inbound to me is like a referral coming in, someone calling me, someone being emailed, someone seeing my blog, someone seeing our content and like contacting. And I think anything that I'm paying to go get them is outbound. But it's not necessarily that. Not not. I mean, that's kind of too broad. Right. Okay. So follow up question to that. Follow up question to that. So for me, someone like LinkedIn, you know, I get I wish I got all these on Facebook or Instagram because I'd be popular as heck, but I'm not. On LinkedIn, I get like a hundred messages a day that are just like you know inbound marketing or uh, people just like uh, what's it called uh, the Navigator LinkedIn Navigator I guess yeah. Yeah. where they're just like they're messaging. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but there's tons. So for in order to get my attention, it usually is something very personalized and clever that gets me to be like, wow, they're clever. I like their process for sales, or I like that they're like you know they're creative. Sometimes it's like a personalized video where they're using my name and they're like, you know, going through like my account or my website or something like that. Um, Maybe they're referencing where I went to school or, you know, that I lived in Hawaii or that I like wrote a book recently or, you know, I see some of those tactics. But I would say it's definitely something that feels like, wow, they took a little bit of time to know a little bit about me and my company before they just like called me or emailed me. And the difference in my open rate, I'm speaking from just like a, someone that gets sold to yeah the difference is like night and day for me right right and i think i think that's that's a really good point and there's there's people doing that that well um but i think the issue is there's kind of like this arms race of data right of like saying of of being able to to have an insight about the person you're contacting and being able to say i saw this that and the third about you i saw this that and the third about your company your site or whatever it might be and that like arms race is accelerating a lot the problem is very few people, if any, are closing the loop on that and saying, here's my connection to you as opposed to just what I know about you, right? And yeah. that's really the thing that gets you from like the 50-yard line to the 100-yard line. Um, and there's lots of ways it's going to catch. So like, I think that you know, it sounds like you're doing this well or you've, you've seen people do this well. And there's people that send like crazy lumpy mail, right? Where it's like, here's you know, this crazy gift. And all that stuff is it can work towards the same aim. 
um, the economics change, the list size change, the effort changes. Our, our pr- approach, you know, um, specifically to us at Sales Schema is more about what we call like relationship sales at scale. So it's finding not just a com- not just like something about the receiver, but something that unites the sender and the receiver. And to get further into that, the way that we think about it is in terms of like circles of influence. And uh, I talk about this a lot in the book, but there's uh, this sociologist named Robin Dunbar, and he's famous for Dunbar's number. And that's the idea that there's like a limited number of relationships you could have in your life. And you have these circles that that expand out by by triplets approximately. So you might have like, you know, a, a, a close circle of like five close family members, the people you confide in, and then 15, um, you know, very close friends and so on and so forth. And Robin, I think Dunbar's number, if I remember right, respond, corresponds to like the number of like first name basis people you can kind of have in your life, like acquaintances, like 150. But our whole, our hypothesis uh, from a sales perspective is that that keeps going, right? And it goes through layers. So it expands out by another three. And now there's like thousands of people that may not be on a first name basis, but they would be willing to talk to you based on something that you have in common. And that that's where you're kind of able to now do this outreach at scale. Because if I reached out to you, Drew, and I was like, hey, I saw that you're Marknology, you guys are doing really great stuff in e-commerce and Amazon, that's cool. You may or may not take that meeting, but if like, hey, hey Drew, um, I saw that you can, you come from a missionary background, that's really crazy, I do as well. Um, I, and also like I lived in the Midwest, just like you do. Uh, and and we we happen to do a lot of work with e-commerce agencies or you know like like you you'd probably take that meeting yeah you you would you would respond to that 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 yeah exactly you you would have to respond to that almost you might not take the meeting but you'd at least like you'd have to pay attention to that you definitely wouldn't be mad at it so reputation like you know he's in the midwest like and the reason for me i'd also think like well he's going to get along well with my team he's going to get along with our like our cadence, the way we speak, like, you know, right. localization piece, like it was, that'd be a home run. Exactly. And the thing is all those, those commonalities that I mentioned by and large are, are findable, right? Like you could find maybe several hundred people that share those two things, Midwest and missionary background, right? Um, it's not easy. That's where secret sauce comes in. And there's, there's much more, that was just something I pulled off the dome, right? There's like things that are easier to find, but if you combine those things, now you're creating a message that where everybody that gets it is like, wow, this is, this is cool. And this is just for me. Um, but you know, you can think of this negatively or, or whatever. Um, but it's not sustainable if you were just to send like three little custom level letters a day for one, it's, you're not going to get any, anything from that. You're, you're not going to do it. You're going to get busy and this is not going to happen. So there has to be some level of scale, right? Um, whether, but the scale doesn't have to be hundreds of thousands of people or even tens of thousands. For each one of our campaigns, we might be contacting as, as few as several hundred people, maybe up to a thousand. But because of the strength of that commonality, it works way, way better in terms of meeting rates, in terms of opportunities, and all that, all that good stuff. I love it. Keeping like you know, is it number three? Are you looking for three things in common, or like? Is there a specific specific, number? It can be just one, frankly. Like the craziest thing we ever did uh, was we found people that used to play tennis in college, right? And people ask, where do you get your data, blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, proprietary, this and that. But the fact is like, we don't have one place where we get the data. For that, we had to have list builders go find that piece of data and find like first get the total, all the accounts our clients want to contact, all the people that share certain titles. And then Venn diagram the few hundred people 
that used to play tennis in college. And to get that data, we had to go on bios and company web pages and find that stuff, right? Um, and then, then everybody that's getting that message is like, oh, cool, like that's that's special and it's like emotionally resonant and they'll take that meeting. Um, and the fact is like at the same time, we're still talking about what our client does. You're still selling. They're not dumb. Like they know that they're entering a sales process, but they're just, it de-risks the call because it says, you're not, uh, this is tasteful. I'm not going to drag you into a horrible sales process. At the same time, I do want to sell you something because I'm talking about this thing that we do. Uh, but it, it essentially like lets people enter with a certain level of trust and it builds yeah. the relationship. And then once you do that, people, what, what happens after like five minutes of talking to like, tell me what you do, you know, and then you have something cool that you do. Hopefully. <laughs> I think, I think, I think what you're spitting today is genius, Dan, by the way. Um, and I don't just say that, like, I mean, this is like good stuff. I feel like part of my success has been because I was raised by missionary parents and like, um, I, that relationship piece kind of came natural. Like, you know, it was like, you know, mom would say like, go sit by that kid. He looks lonely, like over there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it was like, yeah. you just learned how to like connect with all different types of people. Um, you saw different types of people come through. Um, and so that relationship part was an easy move for me versus like almost the salesmanship was difficult. Well, as we start getting more momentum, like with Marknology, like I'm sure a lot of the listeners have checked out my page by now, but you know, there's a, there's an about us with our story there. And there's an Andrew Morgan's page that's like digs into kind of my story. And it was that trust piece. You know, I was, you know, when I was trying to create an agency and having all these conversations, I just had so many conversations. Well, I've been burned by this agency. Well, I've been burned by this agency or this or that. And I was just like, okay, well, for the people that have been burned, I'm going to spend a ton of time building trust with them. And with like, by putting out, you know, putting out all these truths about Marknology, even if I had some reservations about them, things like working with family, things like being from a religious family, these are all things that for some people might be like deal breakers, you know, or they see them as, as some type of thing. On the other hand, if people respect bootstraps, if people are like, from a family built business or they care about like, you know, strong ties and loyalty and and trust building, these things are going to speak to that type of customer. Right. Right. And so it was almost, I'm not a sales expert. Like I haven't built a sales company, but these were things like I would consider that almost inbound. But if they start doing their research on us because they've heard of us or whatever, they start feeling like they trust even this podcast, right. Or, Or our YouTube was about speaking hour after hour, after hour, after hour about expertise in different things. And essentially building trust with anyone that wants to do their research or that cares about that or wants to build a long lasting you know, relationship. For me, the sales part was always so transactional that I, it never felt like I never wanted to make a purchase unless I felt like I had some kind of relationship with the person. Right. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people like that um, as well. Something else I'm going to bring in a little bit of branding to it is like I went to, um, I'm also in real estate on a real estate business, uh, Airbnb, short-term rentals, um, regular property management here in Kansas City. So it's an aspect of what I do. And, but there was a time when I was building my technology, I knew nothing about real estate. I just, growing up the way I grew up, the only people that ever had any kind of wealth were in real estate. And so that was like, I need to get into real estate. And um, so I started researching it. I'm on my own. I don't have anyone in my family that was like about it. And I went to one of these like, three day like weekend like training things that came to Kansas City, a couple hundred bucks. And I learned a lot walking, you know, walking away from it more than I did. But while I was there, there's a speaker 
and he had all of this money and success and the story was like about his brother who passed away and his legacy and he's like you know it's kind of a tearjerker moment like like great story and i went to look him up this guy that's selling us like you know he was they were selling like coaching packages and stuff too along with the real estate courses but he had no social media no presence nothing online and it was in that moment that i was like you know i saw this person I saw this in person and I trusted him there in the moment. But whenever I looked for him digitally, there was no trust or reputation online. Yeah. And for me, that branding part of like the same thing, I guess, with salesmanship, if someone sells me really well, they've like researched that I went here, that I was from this type of family, that my company is like this size and they're accurate. And this is like actually what we do. And they're regurgitating that to me. And they're telling me that they're going to go help me sell more. I'm like, yeah, because this person is doing a great job with their first interaction, which is me, I believe that they can also do this for, for me as a service. Same right. thing with us, I guess, at Marknology on the branding side is like, I didn't want to be telling people we were marketing or, or brand, an Amazon branding agency. And then they go to look at our own brand and it'd be, you know, subpar. How can I tell them I'm doing something that I can't do myself well? So I think in the same, in the same spirit of that, so to speak, um, on the salesmanship side is like, what level of of personalization are you going to um you know to create that relationship yeah and, and i think that's a great point and there's there's multiple there's many ways to achieve the same effect right like if if your audience is spending an hour with you or or their respective audiences on a podcast and listening in that can get you really really far as well our whole argument is that you know in the b2b space why not build the actual first name relationship sooner rather than later. I think that there's a lot of head trash that people have about like, oh, if we contact them and they don't want to talk to us, are they like burned? Are we never going to be able to get them again? And the reality is like, no, if you do it right, most people will not be mad that you reached out to them. You know, you but but once you have that that initial call and you've had this exchange, everything kind of changes. Like you then can re-engage that person again you can bring them back. All the other stuff you're doing on the inbound side, you know, or the content or the earned side, is now that much more resident because they actually know you. Um, so it's it's like you might as well find a way to get that door open sooner rather than later. Is kind of our, our thinking on it anyway. Is a lot of this in the in in your latest book, balancing relationships, sales at scale? I hope it is. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it is. So that, to to give a little context on the book. Um, it goes into to a lot of the philosophy on this, um, which I can cover from a high level, but I, I'm into the historical element of this and I'm into like the macro stuff. Some people aren't and they can skip past that, that chapter if they want. Uh, but, you know, I think that this is kind of the order of things that markets and honestly, probably like movements and art, artistic movements too, you know, they become more saturated and more skeptical over time, Right. Uh, if we're talking about the agency space, which is our our main niche, that definitely happens. Like, and it happens within the sub niches, like influencer marketing. Guess what? Like, that was hot a year ago, and now there's all these influencer agencies. And it's like you can't just say we do influencer marketing. You you've now got to identify with people and build trust. What um, exactly that means? Right. So that's the. There's a lot that I talk about there, um, and it's less about features and benefits and bells and whistles. Uh, and that stuff lasts for like five minutes and then you have to go to where everybody else is and de-risk things and build trust in people. So the book goes through that. It talks about, but then it gets tactical and it talks about how you can actually do this and ideas for campaigns that you can launch right away. 
um, that are, when you read them, you're like, oh yeah, that, that would work. That's something I do anyway. I mean, the thing is like, none of this is reinventing the wheel. The only thing we're adding with this is a level of scale that's recently available, frankly, because of technology and data and all that good stuff. So. No, I think sometimes the tactical stuff can be, can be misleading for me because I care so much about the tactical move that I'm trying to emulate or copy instead of just how can these principles filter through what I do, you know, and then, and then put them into practice. So I like the high level and I, something that I'm thinking about probably my, my wheels are just turning in the back of my head is, you know, I do this, I do the same thing at scale with Marknology. Sure. Marknology is an agency with B2B sales. Of course, of course, that's practical here for this conversation, but on the Amazon level, we're an Amazon agency. And so I'm selling products that are $19, $50, $100, you know, all different price points at scale, at mass, like, right, right, you know, 20,000 orders a month on on a brand or more more than that, right? So um, we're doing the same thing where you're trying to create that emotional connection with a customer uh, in a way that's authentic and trustworthy. And that's how we're, we're getting such success on Amazon right now. When a lot of the early movers were, you know, Chinese sellers or, or American sellers bringing product from China where they're just kind of taking good feed product photos saying, these are the features. This is what it does for you, you know, buy it versus like understanding exactly how to quickly in, in a very small space, make an emotional connection with the customer through photography and imagery and words, um, you know, with good sales copy. Uh, but the same principles apply. And I would say the same thing. I'm like, it's never rocket science. It's really once you hear it, you're like, aha. It's just the intentionality behind pulling it all in together to work together um, that I think is the magic. And I think that's what you're getting to as well. Yeah, that's that's definitely what, what we're going for. And it's, uh, you know, and I think that it's, you see it kind of like writ large across the board, not just like in the B2B space, but there's so much more noise and distraction that just getting the initial meeting or the initial attention or in the Amazon space, just getting somebody to click and uh, have, you know, an emotionally resonant experience is a lot harder than it used to be. So I feel like the battle's happening more at like top of funnel, you know, no matter which way you define that. Yeah. I, um, I, I got some more questions for you before we jump to, to our questions as we wrap up the show. Um, shout out again to our sponsor, fullscale.io, helping you build software teams uh, quickly and affordably. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, practically like you know creating automation in your in your sales process for someone that's like obviously they can come and hire you guys and you show them and teach them and put people in seats and show them how to do all that but let's say they're just they're buying the book and they're like you know they're like i want to figure out how to add more automation into my sales funnel for me like my first move just to share that was um you know i have a contact form on my website yeah. Someone, you know, selects like, you know, what kind of customer they are and contact me. And, um, you know, I have a funnel going out. I use HubSpot at the moment. And it's a, I think it's a five email sequence. Okay. That essentially is like, hey, um, you know, busy at the moment. And this was really hard for me. I actually had to hire sales copywriters because I have a really hard time, like not being really professional in my emailing. Uh, like, you know, it just is like, I don't talk like with slang and I want to like, I'm covered in tattoos and, you know, gauges. And so I want to be really professional online. Yeah. It's like almost like the balance. And so they really had to help me kind of come up with this, but it's like, you know, Hey, um, thank you for the contact form. You know, like, here's some information on us. Like would love to get a meeting set up as a Calendly link. You know, it's like, um, 
yada 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 you know and it's like it's a sequence like that it's very yeah. professionally done i give them links to our blog or some extra information on us or an about us video as, as we go along um but it was something that for me a couple years back was like just a huge game changer when i put it into place because it was like i knew if they didn't book a meeting right away on that contact form that there was like you know four or five emails going to go out i'm a one-man show on a, on the sales team at the time and this is going to help me and it really helped me book a lot more meetings than me needing to remember to go back through my contact forms for anyone that didn't respond and get them back on the loop or try to get on a call um what's some other you know practical advice or like areas where automation can be just like, you know, a game changer for, for sales teams? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think to frame that out a little bit, I think the first consideration is like the, the who question, like who's doing what, you know? So if you were like a solo agency owner, it's you, you know, you've got to just kind of wear different hats like we all do and everything. Um, but if you want to think about your time in terms of like high level closer versus BDR and getting meetings, I think that can be really valuable. So the idea is like if you're if you're planning out your day and you have your freshest hours for sales in the morning, like most people or whatever it is for you, then you're working the, the pipeline from bottom to top. So you look at the stuff that's closest to closing where you have a proposal coming up and you try to get those people over the line before you focus on booking people and getting new meetings. The one exception is, yeah, you have to be timely. If somebody wants to talk to you, you know, you got to get back to them soon and, yep. and all that good stuff. So that's the first thing is like who's doing what? Well, that's the foundation for everything else. Um Beyond that, to answer your question about automation, you can, of course, get really, really fancy with stuff and, you know, you can accelerate the sophistication as things go on. But what you said is really good. You know, having having a booking funnel is 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 helpful. Another one is having like a re-engagement notification, right? So having a filter or an alert that basically says, okay, this prospect that I talked to 30 days ago or 90 days ago has not been contacted in at least 90 days. Um, and then having that hit list, you know, every day so that you're like, okay, there's these five people, they haven't been contacted in 90 days. And then from there, you don't have to, you, you can automate that. You can send them a canned email, but you don't necessarily have to. And sometimes it's better not to. Um, that's where the work lives, right? So being able to say, hey, Joe, you know, we talked 90 days ago. Um, you know, you guys had this problem. What, what decision did you make? And guess what's going to happen? They're going to say, we haven't done anything. You know, it's like, well, should we talk again? You know, it seemed important back then. What's what's going on? Uh, or or another way to re-engage is like, hey, I have a couple ideas. Uh, we just wrapped up a project for a client in your space. I have a couple ideas. We should talk. That works really well. I like that one. I like um, that one a lot. Uh, and you don't have to say a lot. You know, <laughs> that can get really far. And then if nothing else, like make sure basic stuff like, People in your CRM going on, just put them on the newsletter. You know, they go on the newsletter, they're getting the podcast, they're getting everything else um, that that works well. And yeah, and that, that, I think that, that that's really like- Would you consider that automation? Would you consider that automation or is that more so just like that personalization piece? Like of, of like going there and giving them some, giving them some value. My philosophy on this is that, okay, so while we are- putting people on a list, you know, with the, at the, the lukewarm or cold stage, the effect that we want is that nobody thinks that they're on a list, right? If somebody is on a list and in like a newsletter, then that's like presented as a newsletter and they know it. It's like, okay, cool. I'm getting the newsletter this month. That's fine. Um, or week or whatever. So 
that that's the same vibe that we always kind of want. Even if you are sending like 80% of the same email and customizing a line, um, once you have like a one-to-one conversation with somebody, the cost of over-automating outweighs the benefit, right? So it's like, if you, if you have, you know, like a, if you're in an e-commerce agency and you're selling into, uh, you know, a seven, eight figure, nine figure <laughs> e-commerce brands, and you're talking to like a senior person there, there's, there's more to be lost than gained by over automating that process. It's better to like think, think creatively about how you can get them back into the fold. You know, that doesn't mean you have to like write each and every person a completely custom email or do anything nuts, but you might mean spending a few minutes, you know, each morning on that. Yeah. No, I love it. That's great advice. And I think that relationship piece is like at the top of that, which is just like, no one wants to feel like they're getting the same selfie from a girl that's sending it to 50 dudes, right? You want to feel like she's like sending you a selfie, right? Or like tagging in with you. And I like, I make a joke because I think most of us can just relate to that. But same thing with business. Like it's very similar in regards to just like, make me feel special even if I'm not, you know? Like, like I want to feel like, like, you know, it wasn't just a spam or like a blast, you know? Like you're you're, you're reaching out to me because you care. Yeah, there's that. But I I, I think that like, the emotional, the feeling that we get is, is different than just like, I appreciate this. It's more like, I have to respond to this, you know, you uh, like, I, you I owe. yeah, that, I mean, what you say is true. That's also true. But I feel like the, the guttural feeling that you get when somebody sends an email, that's like, well, connected enough is I have to get back to this person. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's why I work 20 hour days for sure. Exactly, um, there's exactly. definitely that emotional connection. Um, okay. As we're, as we round out the show, cause we're up on time. What's one thing, um, you know, you, you, two things, one thing, one tip, one piece of advice, regardless of what we talked about today or not that you can just, um, share with like a young sales team or a young sales leader, or even a, a founder that's like, you know, trying to get out of their sales and where do, where do I start? If outside of just hiring you because that's the number one choice but and then two what's something that you're working on with sales schema that you guys are excited about um you know j- just to share yeah thanks for that um i wish i could boil it down to one thing but i, I hopefully is to be a little long-winded I, th- I mean i think the first thing is just clarity about this is from a sales front i don't mean clarity in terms of like what you want in 10 years with your business but clarity in terms of like who is your your ideal customer you know what's the problem you're solving there's key ICP kind of, kind of things, right? That's can the I, first can I interrupt? Can, yeah, can I interrupt there actually uh-huh. real quick? Cause I, I thought of this earlier, something I really struggled with as someone that was like kind of front running the Amazon industry and yeah. in an Amazon agency and kind of contact my avatar on the other side yeah. was, it seems like there's maybe like a hundred different titles for the type of person that I'm trying to connect with on the other side. Like it's, it's almost like name, name yourself, whatever you want, uh, when it comes to like digital marketing or marketplace management or e-commerce director, or like, it was just like this very wide way of describing the role that is like a new role in e-commerce. It was something I, I, you know, I would get asked by someone like you or a consultant, well, like, who's your avatar? What would be their position at a company? What's like, you know, what are those things? And I just felt overwhelmed because there was like so many. Um, yeah yeah 
Is that just a unique challenge? No, that's not unique at all, especially for people that are selling um, into bigger companies. And, and the, the fact of the matter is sometimes that's just the nature of the beast. Like big companies in general are dynamic and changing. And there's, there's various like sales data companies. They'll say, we have insights. We know when people are going to be buying and we know exactly who makes the decision here. But we all know that's BS because we, if you've ever worked for a company, much less a large organization, that changes all the time. Like there's somebody, you know, and there's very little outward information that tells you about that in the same way that like the Wall Street Journal is not a very good way to get stock tips, right? Because the market's yeah. already reflected that information, right? So the fact is, um, if you're in that, you know, you, you approximate and you have lots of conversations with lots of people and, okay. and okay. you do that, you know, until you can afford to get somebody else to do it, basically. <laughs> Um, okay. but I might've lost answer. your first question. <laughs> no. And, and the first one, the first one was just like, you know, a piece of advice to give like a young sales team or a yeah. sales leader that's handling it all his own. And we were, you were talking about like, first is just have like real clarity on who you're selling to. And for right. me, I just really struggled with that. So I wanted to speak to that. Yeah, no, you're, you're not alone. And I think, um, yeah, in, ter in terms of, of advice, you know, after the clarity thing, I think the important thing is like, you know, to, to get the process figured out incrementally, you know, by focusing first on top of funnel and then going and then, and then getting other stuff off your plate from there. I think okay. one of the big problems that we see is somebody either doesn't like sales or they don't want to do it, or they just want to get a superhero to figure it all out for them too soon. And that almost always fails. Right. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've been on or an agency owner or whoever is like, oh man, we've hired three salespeople. They all failed. And I was like, okay, after three, maybe a little reflection should happen here. Like, so the idea is focus on top of funnel first, right? Focus on like getting meetings, getting demand, however you want to, whatever buzzwords you want to use. Um, from there, you know, figure out sales process, invest in sales coaching for yourself if nothing else. Um, don't, be a, don't be allergic to that. Somebody that's going to listen to your calls and beat your ass a little bit. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's like, we, we hear a lot of resistance to that. We don't even sell that. So it's not like we're, you know, but, but I've noticed a, a high level of resistance to that, especially with owners, with people that have built like big companies. So like, why do I need that? And it's like, Michael Jordan had a coach, like Michael Jordan had a Phil Jackson. Like if Michael Jordan had a Phil Jackson, you could probably benefit from, from this, from somebody listening to your oh, yeah. calls and saying like, you, you shouldn't be saying this in that way. If you get even if you're killing it, if you're getting like a 1% incremental improvement in our world, in the B2B world, that's like millions of dollars, right? So it's like, yeah, be thinking about that. And then from there, once you have your processes pretty good and like, you're not just getting referral business, you've got other channels, whether that's outbound, inbound, et cetera, then that's when you want to think about the closer, the person that's going to cost six figures and has experience in enterprise, then they can slot into that situation but they're not going to be able to just build that from the ground up. Like only an owner is going to be able to do that with, with help, with help, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that's, that's useful in some way. Question number one, question number two, something you're working on, you're excited about besides getting married um, <laughs> and, and getting off the single rotation. But yeah. um, what's something you're working on with a sales schema that's got, you know, you guys are working toward as a team or that you're excited about as a founder. Yeah. Thanks for that. So the big thing now is uh, is software. We're thinking about a software product. Um, we're already doing some software tinkering like on the back end for our, our processes and that kind of thing. Um, and we'll see where it goes. It's kind of, it feels kind of like a journey of a, of a million steps kind of situation. Uh, and 
I, the way that I'm thinking about it is like, I think the lines are getting pretty well melded now between software and services. Um, I don't think of it as a completely different business anymore. Like I used to, uh, but we'll see where it goes. <laughs> it's definitely no, that's super days. exciting. Yeah. No, it's super exciting. And since we're speaking about software, reminder about fullscale.io, that's that's the best spot to go to find um, a software team quickly and affordably. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let Fullscale help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. Um, fullscale.io is built by Matt Corsi and Matt Watts and the founders of the podcast. Absolutely awesome company. If you're looking to, uh, not just you, Dan, but to any listeners, like if you're looking to add to your software team and get good quality people that are vetted and managed and really know their stuff, Fullscale.io is a place to start. I've definitely used them for some of my own stuff. I have yet to have proprietary software, but I've dabbled quite a bit. So I know what you mean by journey of a million steps. Um, This has been helpful. I feel like this is a personal podcast for me to get some questions answered that I just like am curious about. And um, you shared a ton of value to anyone listening. Dan, really appreciate you having you on the show. Likewise, Drew, really appreciate you having me. Yeah, and we we might need a part two. I am I am getting the book, um, and so maybe we can just go through some of my favorite chapters after I've had a chance to read it. We can dig into some of those and uh, uh, get a second second look at the book. That sounds great, man. Yeah, love to do it again. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you next time, hustlers. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.